Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Disclaimer, the following information contains facts that may interrupt your cognitive dissonance or core beliefs that may not be accepted and will be challenged. Congratulations. You've unlocked some Gorilla Radio. I am a crypto keeper, Steve Strange. I will break down a digital asset called cryptocurrency. Picture me rolling into central land. I got no time for glitches. I just need to buy land. They are chasing my bosses. What somebody be telling? But I don't give much. Because I ain't selling. My NFT is not another number. I put a price, so don't place a bit what is under. The banks want to see us there. If a bull price is on our head. But still I have mana on my ledge. So when you bled, every day alive, I will live. Welcome back to this disruption radio that will that we hopefully cause you to ask what is happening right now? What in the world am I talking about now? Well, um, first to start off, let's uh, let's hit on a uh, little decentralized point here. How many of us know someone? that has had their social media profile banned, blocked, or shut down. I think maybe most of us. This is the reason that if you follow this podcast, why I am using the other decentralized platforms like Uptrend, Hyper, Odyssey, and another one called Apex. These are decentralized opportunities to not only earn crypto just for using them, but to avoid being censored. This is part of the revolution happening right now. If you have a YouTube channel, check out library.com, L-B-R-Y.com. They are a decentralized platform that you can apply any kind of content. And the other aforementioned uh, or before mentioned social media platforms, you can uh, pretty much take it where you want and not worry about being shut down there is no censorship there you can just be you this is about what freedoms we have left so take advantage now I'd like to start off real quick um, going into the content this is going to be uh, some really uh, really good stuff and I need you to stay with me here okay I'm just going to be providing some context about what all of this, um, how everything plays in. 
why am I here talking about crypto? Why are you going to find out about what crypto is? Why the digital space and the digital currencies are going to take over? So here is a, um, uh, a recent headline. Um, it says, from PayPal to Libra. Actually, I think it was from Libra to PayPal. Big tech has forced central banks to wake up to CBDCs. Central bank digital currencies, that is. Okay, so some time ago, Facebook announced their own coin. It was going to be called Libra. Now, I don't mean to speak of it in past sense, but it kind of has fallen off the radar for the time being because it was the final wake-up call to the central banks to wake up and seriously consider the potential of digital currency. Because Facebook has such a large following and it is worldwide, if they would have issued their Libra coin when they announced it, they would have been their own self-sustaining economic structure with advancement in payments, which would have totally taken the banks out of the picture. And... Of course, that got the attention of a lot of powerful people in the banking industry, not to mention a lot of the other payment platforms, such as PayPal, which recently has come online and reversed their decision from waiting till next year to going live today. And then you have Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and all these other sectors of trying to stay on the edge of the payments processes. But the, uh, the call to wake up these, these financial institutions was done by um, someone who's at the head of a Bank of International Settlements, the BIS. Um, they're huge. They're like the bank of banks. They're um, pretty much at that top of, uh, top of the list. And it's, it's weird to think about banks as a, um, a ranking system, but they are very, very much a ranking system from the lower echelons all the way to the top. And the head of the innovation hub at the BIS came in and uh, just pretty much made a statement to everyone, every central banker out there saying, hey, y'all better wake up and get on this because it's gonna take off without you. It was, uh, labor was the trigger to move forward with really getting central bank digital currencies online. And this is the, um, the 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 primary topic of what today's episode is going to be about. Because Libra is such a global, closed, self-sufficient project, there was nothing else at the time when it came forward that um, would have been so influential. And so it has a lot of moving and shaking behind the scenes, stuff that you don't know, stuff that's uh, deliberately being, I would say, um, not being given to you as some of this information may be new and unheard of. There's only certain types of info that's being given to you and crypto has not been one of them. So in order to know where this is all going, you should know where this all comes from, where a lot of the financial structure as it exists today, where it all comes from. So there's a, a lot to get into here. So 
what we're going to do is we're going to uh, make this a part one because I did not want to rush some of this information. You have to understand who the players are in order to move forward, to, in order to get involved, in order to know how to uh, know what steps to take next. And so this will be an attempt on my part to try and deliver some very valuable information on those key players, okay? All right, so first we're going to start off with something called the fourth turning. This is a very interesting topic. Um, it uh, comes from the Strauss-Howell generational theory, also known as the fourth turning, which describes a theory um, that states after every saculum, a crisis recurs in American history, which is followed by a recovery. So William Strauss and Neil Howe are American authors and researchers. They partnered back in the late 80s, writing their first book, Generations. They touch on the effects of generational effects people have from the post-wars and the world wars of the last century. And the effects of these manifest in attitudes and entitlement programs. During the world wars of the 20th century, people's attitude were the result of establishing, they, they were only about establishing a home, reconciling with the trauma of being displaced, becoming an immigrant, or just wanting to build the most simplest form of success. No questions asked. That was a different time, a different day, where all you wanted to do was just build a family and a home. And you just had to do whatever you had to do to get that done. It was a very different time of growing up with strong, distinct beliefs into the system that you were living into. That system was also deemed the American dream. Then the progression into the Vietnam and how that affected everyone, the population, how it affected baby boomers, another form of reconciliation with trauma that also brought an entitlement attitude, which could be debated as America's entitlement, entitlement ego in some cases. Now, if that kind of bothers you, well, let's uh, really think about that. I mean... Yes, there was very, some very problematic happenings in America. There was all kinds of civil unrest. There was all kinds of issues, um, societal issues that were just flat out right. But I'm talking about the long-term effect, the long-term aspect of what a lot of policies that were put in place has led to. This put America's future at risk, and it was due to a lot of Massive manipulation, such as removing the gold standard. Massive corruption, such as profiting from war. And failed foreign or domestic policies with rampant conflict of interest. How could there be, how could there not be an awakening? Civil unrest from people that could no longer be labeled or confined in ridiculous or outdated policies and laws. So here is a uh, interesting, fun fact. Through all that interesting turn of events that occurred in the 20th century, 
and for what's happening right now, we're just getting started on a new, a new wave. But for the first time in modern history, there is a convergence of four generations existing in the same space, in the same workplace. Baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and the first of the Gen Zers. What I find most interesting and strange are conversations to be had. What discussion not being had is the impact and significance of organizations suddenly coming center stage. So what I'm saying is there should be some very interesting conversations from all these different generational values and beliefs but there is a lack of a conversation in pointing out the very information that we should know, the very information that involves our way of living. And part of that information are the people and organizations behind everything moving and happening and putting these cryptos and digital currencies and digital assets into place. One such organization is called the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. Another one of the organizations is called the World Economic Forum. These two are very, very significant groups that are in fact running the world. And yet, these are words, these are entities that are very unfamiliar and not being spoken about or information given to you when you need to know what it is they're saying because it involves you. So I'll hit on a side note. There's uh, for the conspiracy gurus out there that like to talk about secret organizations working behind the scenes. Well, they're not working behind the scenes anymore. You are vindicated because they are out right in the open doing interviews, video conferences, and publicly stating that next plan of action. And they're calling it the Fourth Industrial Revolution. The IMF is an organization of 189 countries for global monetary cooperation, secure financial stability, and facilitate international trade, promote high, un high employment, sorry, that slip of tongue is not so much of slippage and sustainable economic growth. And they reduce poverty around the world. Hmm. Their purpose is to ensure the stability of the international monetary and financial system. Aren't those interesting points, interesting notes to take? It sounds a lot like they're the ones really calling the shots but I thought that's what our government was supposed to do is touch on these very same points who knows but I'd like to know who uh, who funds this organization as influential and huge as they are how do they tick what um, what's responsible for them being around for so long so they're funded by the, they're funded by member nations, which contribute 
uh, I guess you could say massive amounts of money into a pool of money. They fund the pool, which um, I couldn't even tell you what it's valuated. Um, but they decide financial importance. And I guess they had so much money, they had to create something called the World Bank because that's just as important and significant as, as the BIS, Bank of International Settlements. And these are the real movers and shakers, influencers, the ones actually dictating policies and then running them down the ranks. So let's uh, take a little bit further look into this IMF perspective. Um, the managing director currently of the IMF is Kristalina Georgieva. She's a Bulgarian economist serving as a chair and managing director. Since 2019, she was the chief executive of the World Bank, served as acting president of the World Bank, and uh, also a vice president of the European Commission. These are very high-ranking positions, I assure you. Um, so it's no wonder why she's become a managing director for such an influential and powerful organization. So they um, have many interesting things to say, and she in particular has been doing many particular kinds of interviews. And so you don't have to take my word for it. I'd like to play you an interview um, of a quick snippet of info, a quick little um, clip from her in which she has something to say about what's coming in the near future. Make sure that actions we take to support the recovery are oriented not to reproducing the economy of yesterday, but to shaping up the economy of tomorrow. And what it means is that the necessary public investments that are going to be put in place in the months and years ahead should pursue first investment in people to make sure that people are resilient, education, health, social protection. Second, investment in green infrastructure, making sure that we can build low carbon, climate resilient economy for tomorrow. And I want to welcome China's commitment to go carbon neutral by 2060. So important for China and for the rest of the world. And we also have to make sure that the digital transformation that we have seen happening in accelerated pace benefits everybody that people in countries with more or less financial capabilities can be connected so we can see inequalities that have been a problem in the past being tackled on that basis of equal access to the opportunities of tomorrow. Well, she hit on some very powerful points in that minute and a half clip. She was bringing up something called a, a green effort, a green movement. So they're going to be really 
focusing the energy usage on what we use today, fossil fuels and what have you, oil, they're going to restructure that system. The whole, the, you have to understand the infrastructure here is completely changing. And it's changing to a level that can also be monetized. Uh, what's interesting is currently there is a, um, a, a test pilot of a program happening in Australia where neighborhoods are already utilizing this, this futurist type of energy consumption. And they have these specialized batteries that um, are accumulated from massive amounts of solar panels on the, the roofs of their um, houses. And it accumulates energy in, in a surplus that also then allows them to trade the amount of this energy in different ways. And whether dispersing it with others that need uh, an equal amount of energy or, you know, just however the ebb and flow of the, the consumption is within that community. It's all very, very interesting. I think the uh, the battery is called Auto Bitter, and it has uh, a lot of in-network functionalities that's already using this blockchain technology. So if you also heard the point where she talked about a digital transformation, again, we are reminded that this is a digital transformation for you to accustom to, to get ready to, because they are speaking very much about CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. And so they are readying and preparing all their banker friends and banking institutions to equip themselves with this as well. And I'll touch on CBDCs and something called stable coins here in a minute, but there's a little bit more I need to provide. She also mentioned um, access, equality for everyone um, in rich or poor communities. So this is interesting in the fact that um, sh there will be the ability for what we know now as third world countries, when you see or think about these villagers living way out in a remote sense, now having the capability of tapping into the banking infrastructure, now having a way of being included in a network and thereby creating a, another potential of more uh, consumerism in this marketplace and also contributing to the supply and demand of various products. There are millions of people that are unbanked and it is part of their effort to get this around and um, provide that equality, as they say, for everyone. Another huge talking point they love to make is level the playing field. So they're going to uh, pretty much issue and draw out all these digital currencies in a, in a more leveled playing field. <laughs> they're not exactly specific on what this means, but they use that talking point a lot. Okay. So we're going to touch into what money we're using right now, the U.S., the U.S. dollar, okay, the fiat dollar. Now you have to understand, again, where a lot of this comes from. Where did some of this begin? And the main point of entry um, for what we're experiencing today 
goes back to 1944 during an event called the Bretton Woods Agreement. So, I mean, I'm a little bit disappointed that I was never really taught about this. And if there are any, um, is there if is there an education system? If there's a school class out there that has actually taught this, um, you know, kudos to them. And um, I am really really impressed if they have because this is this was such a, a significant event. The Bretton Woods Agreement was a conference of all the World War II allied nations. In the Bretton Woods, it was located in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. The agreement promised that their central bank that central banks around the world would maintain fixed exchange rates between currencies and replace the gold standard with the U.S. dollar as the accepted world reserve currency. This established America as the dominant power in the world. With this cooperative effort and dominancy, is it still a question to ponder the entitlement ego that I previously mentioned, we have been caring about holding this, this high regard about this country for so long. And a lot of it is derived from that point where the U.S. dollar was accepted to be that dominant world reserve currency. And then after that agreement, the, America was the only country with the ability to print dollars. What's um, disappointing, I guess you could say, is how we've weaponized that ability. We've abused that, that gain in power for so long now. We've held it over other countries' heads. We've, we've done really unfair things you know, in, in a lot of policy making. And, and, and you know, it's just been really shameful to think about how we use this, uh, this disability, this promotion of power the way we have. And then nowadays we have the, the printer uh, to print those dollars has been switched on and apparently they broke in the off switch because it's just constant now. It's just constantly printing more money. That's all the solution is uh, to, to um, prolong what's happening financially, some of the hardships uh, worldwide. It's to just keep printing. And ultimately, this is what has so many investors concerned and why they're looking into alternative assets, into the digital assets. So many stories, so many times have I found an article that, that again reiterates this movement of whether they're very successful, prominent investors, all the way down to the ground level of, you know, your, your, uh, the common consumer that is privy to this information already and has diversified. And to try sustain some aspect of wealth into alternative assets. The IMF has not only instructed all central banks to begin preparation for central bank digital currencies but today as within the past I guess you could say this year it the they have stepped up the initiative 
and they have been calling for reinventing the Bretton Woods Committee. Now, this is even more significant, and I'm telling you these things just keep adding up and keep building up because the IMF is now calling for reinventing one of the most significant events that is that that took place in the 20th century. And in this effort of reinventing the Bretton Woods Committee, they are having these meetings. They have begun reviewing all the world reserve currencies to create a new world reserve dominant currency. And this is something to take note because within the IMF, they have something called SDRs, special drawing rights. And within these special drawing rights are exclusive currencies. These aren't exactly currencies for the masses that we can use on a day-to-day basis, but these are particular supplements uh, to foreign exchange reserve assets. These are exclusive assets, units of account for the IMF to use. And they particularly hold five of these currencies, which means they hold five countries in exclusivity. One being the U.S. dollar, of course. Also the euro, the Chinese yuan, which they just brought on in 2016. The Japanese yen and the great British pound sterling. Now, these are, again, exclusive members that make up this elitist type of mentality when issuing um, any kind of financial transactions. These are SDRs that are held over all other currencies in the world, over other countries. Meaning, if you're not in this SDR basket, then you're sitting at the kids' table. But something to note is they review these currencies every so often, every four to five years, or whenever they see fit. And guess what? It's actually due to review these currencies presently, now. Now, this event should have taken place in October where they were going to review them and decide which currencies were going to make the cut or not. And I think they prolonged that due to the election. And it's unfortunate that you may not know about this reinvention of the Bretton Woods Committee because it was obviously overshadowed by all the election talk. Um, Side note from that, one of the uh, most entertaining things that a magician has when you go to a magic show is something called misdirection. So as the magician is performing or entertaining you in one area of focus, something else is happening in any other area that you never really know about. Misdirection. How interesting. So a lot of this has taken place because of the Internet of Value. The Internet has now gained a level of value that is pretty remarkable when you consider these digital currencies. One of these types of digital currencies is called the stablecoin. 
A staple coin is a digital currency that's backed by uh, the dollar, you could say. In fact, I think most all stable coins in existence right now are backed by a dollar, which means a digital asset is put into the crypto space that was purchased with the dollar and holds that value at the dollar or the X amount that you supply. And it holds that value not to be um, influenced by the fluctuation of the market. In the previous episode, when we spoke about Bitcoin, we talked about that fluctuation and and how how volatile it was on how much the price can go up and go down. Well, the beauty about stable coins is you don't have to worry about that. Let's say you have a um, X amount of money you want to put off to the side. And you can put that in the stable coin. So if you say, I have $100 and I put $100 into a stable coin, that value holds at $100, no matter what the market is doing. Not to mention, it's also in the crypto space, so it can be transacted within any other digital currency that you might be interested in. What's also noteworthy about this, which is pretty interesting, is the more that we continue to print money, the more that the value of our dollar is in question. Again, which is why a lot of investors are seeking other avenues of opportunity. So ultimately what I'm saying is the more you print money, there's a potential for the value of that money to decrease, thereby you holding paper fiat if you had $100 could really lessen um, day by day or year by year, depending on that current state of affairs. In opposition or contrast to you having it in a stable coin, which will hold that value ultimately. The reinvention of the Bretton Woods Committee, they are orchestrating open dialogue among high-level stakeholders committed to redefining the global financial infrastructure and monetary system. They are committed with high-level stakeholders to decide what the next plan of action financially is going to be. And their talking points are central bank digital currencies. So it's important for you to really, truly grasp and understand what is happening here and why all of this is valid and why you why it's important for you to find out about what's happening and how to secure your standing honestly in this is a pretty um this is probably one of the most exciting times in financial history to witness something like this. And there are many tools available to move in the direction that this is going. And as an individual, you really need to be on top of this. And why podcasts like this are so important. Because you have to speculate and understand or someone else will do it for you. So in conclusion to this first part, although much of this seems uncertain in this monetary renegotiation 
and 100% of it is politically influenced, consider a plan B. The common response from many investors when someone's asking about, okay, so what, what's my play? What should I do? The common response from many are the only, are really to only continue holding some U.S. fiat currency because it's still the primary means of exchange in everyday basis. So no matter what's happening, it still holds some actual transactional ability. So one, continue holding some cash with you. Two, hold or maintain some gold and preferably physically. So there's different ways of owning gold, such as shares or a receipt. Say you buy gold in, in some uh, gold institute or what have you. But you have to understand that's a little sketch as well because, honestly, if you need it, do you really have it? When it comes down to what these digital assets and the point that I've been making this whole time is the importance of owning it yourself and in your possession. Which brings us to the third and final plan B part of this portfolio, which is holding Bitcoin. They have already deemed this to be the best performing asset class in history. That is Bitcoin. And that's pretty a pretty remarkable uh, label to have. Now consider, also keep in mind, I am not a financial advisor, nor is this financial advice. I am merely reiterating what the common response is and what the chats have been throughout this time and in this crypto space. So personally, in my opinion, we should also focus on gardening. That level of self-sustainment is truly, truly important. And Texas, I think, has always been really good at that. In fact, I feel like we've been the best at being our own country and self-sustaining everything that we need here. So stay tuned for part two in the next episode where I will touch on the next mysterious entity called the World Economic Forum and how much they are gravitating to something called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. I cannot wait to get into that and you do not want to miss what I have to say there. So thank you to everyone still listening and everyone still interested in this show and in this topic so far. I hope you realize what this podcast truly is for. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more disruption. This is One Nation Under God and Crypto for All. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.